expert. This is a casual digital cafe, and we have with us today Dr. Andrea Scheidner. She's coming to us from Memorial Sloan Kettering, and she and her team just published an amazing a new paper. November it came out November thirtieth um, of twenty twenty one in Nature, um, entitled "An Autoimmune Stem Like CD8 uh, T Cell Population Drives Type One Diabetes." And as we were talking a little bit off camera, she was just saying that, you know, that's, she's not a type one diabetes researcher, but she has really been interested in this whole sort of paradigm. And so I really can't wait to see her slides and uh, talk more about, you know, what it is that they have found. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, and I guess if you could just give us a little background, a little bio background, that would be great. Yes. So I have been a trained uh, tumor immunologist, actually, and we only started working on autoimmunity type 1 diabetes three, four years ago. So now you ask yourself, why as a cancer immunologist do you suddenly uh, are interested in autoimmunity? And so um, a little bit to the bio for that. I did my PhD at University of Chicago, was in a very uh, basic science, genetic mouse models, tumor immunology lab, and um, loved understanding or trying to understand why T cells in tumors don't work. And then I did my postdoc at the Fred Hutch Cancer Center, um, did translational research there, but also mainly focusing on mouse models. And then in 2015, I started my lab at Memorial Sloan Kettering, um, thinking that I would never do anything but understanding T cell biology in the context of tumors. And um, I think it makes the most sense that I just start um, with one introduction slide so you understand why we want to understand now autoimmune T-cell programming in the context of type 1 diabetes. Sounds so great. I'm uh, mainly focused in understanding T-cell differentiation in, in CD8 T-cells. And so here you have a CD8 T-cell and it sees its antigen on an antigen presenting cell. But this context in what T-cell um, encounter the antigen is really defining what you're going to become. Um, uh, are you becoming a functional T-cell, a dysfunctional T-cell? And we are trying to figure out these factors that define the fate of a T-cell. And so in the lab, we are using various models. We are using models of tumor rogenesis um, because that's my main focus in the lab. Um, but we also integrate infection and more recently self-tolerance and autoimmunity. So as a tumor immunologist, I obviously want to understand if you're a tumor reactive T cell and you see your antigen in the context of tumors, ultimately you are ending up in a dysfunctional state. T cells don't work. They don't make effective cytokines and, and so forth. But in infection, you know that um, you have an antigen specific T cell, they become highly functional effector killer T cells. They wipe out the pathogen in an acute infection, such as a flu, and you end up with these long-term memory T cells. So in autoimmunity, you also have a highly functional T cell that wipes out entire tissue, normal tissue, normal cells. And so as a tumor immunologist, in order to understand how you can effectively reprogram T cells in the tumor, we thought it would be smart to look into autoimmune T cell programming because there you have a T cell that continuously um, kills cells. And if we understand what makes these T cells in autoimmunity continue just to kill um, normal tissue, maybe this is helping us as a tumor immunologist to reprogram T cells in the context of tumors. 
So when we proposed this idea, we said, okay, let's look in the literature. How are autoimmune T cells programmed? And what we realized was that there is nothing really known about the molecular programs, why these T cells just continue to kill and kill and kill and wipe out an entire normal organ. So we said, okay, we have to go back to the mouse model again and really figure out how T cell differentiation works in the context um, uh, of autoimmunity. And we chose the model, the so-called NOD model, the type one diabetes model, because this was for us the best to really track T cells. And since we are not type one diabetes experts, um, we collaborated with Teresa De Lorenzo, one of our, the stars in the type one diabetes field using the NOD mouse model. And with her, um, we really got this project going. So the key questions we wanted to understand is how autoimmune T cells um, responses are initiated, how autoimmune T cells are maintained, and um, how the molecular programs are in an autoimmune T cell. And so in the NOD model, in this type one diabetes model, you have exactly um, this um, CD8 T cell that is autoimmune and just continues to kill beta cells and destroys the entire pancreas. And that's how you end up with type one diabetes. So back then when we started, what was known in the NOD mouse model was that you have definitely beta cell specific T cells, they get activated in the lymph node, then they migrate to the pancreas, they infiltrate the pancreas, and then over the course of this, in this mouse model up to um, 30 weeks, you actually have continuous um, killing of the beta cells. And here you have your autoimmune T cells. So we said, okay, we need to figure out where this autoimmune T cell suddenly comes from, where it's generated and so forth. And, um, we basically started looking in the pancreatic lymph node because the pancreatic lymph node is the site where T cells get activated. They see the antigen, the draining, the draining antigen um, presented on APCs. And this is really where the process starts. So we looked in the pancreatic lymph node. And in fact, yes, we see these very specific beta cell specific T cells. And in the pancreas, obviously we have more. But we said, okay, let's look how they, what, what do they express on the surface? What is their phenotype? And so what was really surprising to us that um, these are markers that tumor immunologists use a lot because in the tumor, these are exactly the same markers that are upregulated. But in the tumor, you have a dysfunctional T cell. And to our surprise, we saw that these um, autoimmune T cells in the pancreas and in the pancreatic lymph node express the same, what we call exhaustion markers, inhibitory receptors like PD-1 and so forth um, on their surface. So we thought, huh, that's kind of weird. On one side, you are probably a highly functional T cell. And yes, when we checked um, whether they make a lot of um, cytokines, effector molecules like interferon, gamma, and TNF, clearly these T cells in the pancreas and in the pancreatic lymph node are highly functional. But at the same time, they express um, super high levels of these extortion markers. So this is in itself for me fascinating because on one side you look like a dysfunctional exhausted T cell, but you are really, really highly functional and you um, can kill target cells. Okay, so then we um, looked more in detail in the heterogeneity of these cells. And um, what we found, and we looked specifically at transcription factor because everything what defines a T cell in the end is um, transcription factor networks. They define the, your phenotype 
your um, functional state. And so we use um, numerous transcription factors that um, are important for T cells. And one of those transcription factor is TCF1. So TCF1 is um, a transcription factor that really defines um, memory and effector function in T cells. And when we looked in our pancreatic lymph node, we actually saw this is not a homogeneous population. There are actually two populations. There is a TCF high population and a TCF low population. But when you go in the pancreas, you only have TCF low expression. So um, we said, okay, when do, when do you basically see these two population emerging? And it's pretty much basically from the start of the, of the lifetime of the mouse until um, the mouse dies of type 1 diabetes. So you have um, always a very TCF high population at the same ratio with these TCF low populations. So clearly two distinct populations. So we said, okay, in order to figure out what's really going on, um, we need to do transcriptional profiling. Initially, we did um, bulk um, profiling. So we sorted these TCF, these TCF low cells and then the ones from the pancreas. And what we found, they, they have completely different molecular programs. So they very distinctly cluster um, are, and look very distinct on a molecular level. They have over thousands of genes differentially expressed. And so we said, okay, let's look specifically at the genes and pathways that are actually differently regulated. And what we found was there was a huge set of genes that was enriched in these um, TCF high cells um, associated with um, stemness and proliferation. But the ones that didn't express TCF low, they were uh, more associated with terminal differentiation and apoptosis. And so we looked specifically into the genes and what we found was really like a huge list of important, super critical and important transcription factors and signaling molecules that really define either stemness, self-renewal, survival and so forth, and on the other spectrum, um, on the other extreme, terminal differentiation and apoptosis. So we said, huh, that's really interesting. So maybe this one TCF high population that you see in the pancreatic lymph node is representing a, a stem-like T cell population. And so in order to really prove this, we did a lot of functional studies and um, transplantations. And I'm just gonna summarize now the most important ones. So this, in order to really prove that a T cell has stem-like function and acts like a stem-like, we need to adoptively transfer. And what the most important criteria of a stem cell is, is A, you have to maintain your own population, your own self. And so the self-renewal capacity has to be proven, but also you give rise to uh, progeny to differentiated cells. So the TCF high population was sorted. And so was the TCF low population from the pancreatic, uh, from the pancreas. And we adoptively transferred them into not skit because not skits are host mice that also cancer biologists for cancer stem cell research and so forth use. So you adoptively transfer your T cells and you see what you're gonna get out. Do they really maintain themselves and they generate more differentiated cells and what's going on? And so in this system, we sorted our um, beta cell specific T cells, these two T cell cohort um, uh, populations, 
And every single time when we did this, we saw that the TCFI stem-like population that we hypothesized constantly generates type 1 diabetes in the, in the host. But when you go up to 100,000, and we did now even do more, every single time when we do up to 100,000 T-cells um, of the T-cells in the pancreas, um, you do not um, uh, generate or induce type 1 diabetes. And what was really crazy uh, was we said, okay, we have to really try to disprove ourselves that this is real. So we tied out actually the numbers of stem cell-like T cells down, and we went up to 10. And every single time when we did the experiment, we actually had the same outcome. But to really prove and show long-term stem cell function of, a, of an eukaryotic cell, you have to do um, serial transplantation. And so this was a really tough experiment and study to do, but we managed to repeat it so many times now, where you basically take your initial naive T cell, but ultimately you generate these um, stem-like cells and you do these serial transplantation studies. And, in that, and now we have the host number four. So basically this is serial transplantation over eight months, nine months now. And what we found was that every single time when we looked in the third or in the fourth host, we get um, type 1 diabetes. And that really proves that this is a stem-like T-cell, this beta cell-specific TCF-high T-cell. And so TCF-high T-cell represents a stem-like T-cell population that self-renews long-term and initiates and maintains type 1 diabetes. And so... Anyway, so then we said, okay, so can we take some knowledge out of this and ask the question, if you block the migration of your stem cells or the, the differentiated T cells to the pancreas, would you prevent type 1 diabetes? And there is actually a pharmacological drug available called FTY720. That is a drug that prevents T cells from egressing the lymph node. And so when you give that drug, all T cells have to stay in the pancreas, in the lymph node, in all lymph nodes, and cannot leave in peripheral tissues. And so we said, okay, let's take that pharmacological drug and treat the mice with this drug, which then should block the migration from the pancreatic lymph node into the pancreas and see what happens. And so sure enough, when we did this experiment, and we treated the mice with um, FTY720. We showed that we can prevent um, the, the onset of type 1 diabetes. The, the mice um, survive long-term. But what was really striking to us was that when we looked within the pancreas, actually the treated mice didn't even have T cells in. So clearly supporting this idea that you have always to have the stem cell in the pancreas that generates these T cells that then go to the pancreas and you constantly have to replenish that pool in the pancreas. Because um, data that I'm not showing is these T cells in the pancreas are, T are very, very short-lived. So what is what I think is also fascinating in type 1 diabetes, right? You basically end up with the complete elimination of beta cells. But I always saw that the T cells that go to the pancreas, they are actually continuing to kill and kill and kill and kill. But what we realize now, no, this is not the case. What you have is that the T cell goes um, to the pancreas, maybe kills two, three times, and then apoptosis. That's why you have these short-lived T cells and when you transfer them into new hosts, they don't even persist and can give rise to new type 1 diabetes in, in the new mice. 
Um, and this is really now um, proving us or showing us that these stem-like T cells must continuously replenish these short-lived T cells in the pancreas in order to sustain this um, beta cell elimination and destruction and induction of type 1 diabetes. So what we think is really happening in type 1 diabetes is that you have these autoimmune stem-like T cells, they self-renew, and then they give these um, TCF low T cells, they go to the pancreas, and then they do the heavy lifting and the killing of the beta cell. And so now um, the question obviously is, um, can you potentially target these stem-like T cells? So we got actually a lot of feedback um, after the paper got out um, from clinical people, um, type 1 diabetes experts, and they say, well, is there now the possibility to really target these stem-like T cells? Because if we would have a way to target the, the stem cells, then we should basically eliminate these constant TCF low T cells going to the pancreas and doing the killing. And that's actually something we are super excited because um, the stem-like T cells have very unique surface markers and the surface markers are very attractive. Some are already like known and have been shown on other um, T cells to be expressed. But um, um, I think there is definitely a potential to use these surface markers now to really um, look for um, therapeutic interventions by targeting them. Also pharmacologically, TCF, right? Is, is there a potential? There are also um, uh, pharmacological drugs available, um, Vint-beta-catenin pathway. Um, the question is, if you would maintain um, a high TCF high level in these stem-like cells, and you would never be able to generate TCF flows, um, which potentially go to the pancreas, is, is transcription factor reprogramming and pharmacological targeting of um, some of the um, transcription factors that are uniquely um, expressed in the stem cell, another way how we could potentially initiate um, some novel strategies for the treatment of type 1 diabetes. And um, then, yeah, so this is basically the summary slide where I'm like, we, this is obviously the mouse model now, and the mouse model um, is only, I mean, I'm saying only, it's very, very clinically relevant. Um, the type 1 diabetes field confirmed that this is the best model that we have um, um, available, but we are collaborating now with institutions to really zoom also into the human pancreas, the human pancreatic lymph node, and control tissues to really see do we have um, these stem-like T cells in humans in the pancreatic lymph node or potentially even in the blood? And could we use the peripheral blood of patients or high-risk patients um, as a kind of biomarker um, to figure out what's happening in those patients? And with that, I'm going to stop. This is fantastic. Just amazing that you came from, you know, the cancer um research focus and, and yeah. brought, brought that all that sort of, um, you know, training to bear against this uh, yeah. paradigm. And I, yeah. I just think it's amazing um, that you were able to kind of tease out some of these transcriptional factors and actually just the whole, the whole setup. I wanted to yeah. ask you a couple of things. Um, one question I had for you is you know, what are, you know, do you have any ideas about any of the triggers that send out these 
um, you know, the TLF uh, highs, the stem-like cells from the right. pancreas to get over to the uh, panc pancreas itself and start their attack. So basically you are asking what is the trigger here, right? Yes. And this is, yeah. So there are now a couple of questions that we are now writing proposals on and brainstorming about and actively working on. The question is, first of all, why suddenly do you trigger auto like self-reactive T cells to become autoimmune, right? What is this trigger? And I don't have yet the answer. The question is, and what we are looking into is now really the spatial temporal factors within the pancreatic lymph node. Is there potentially a unique niche where the stem cell hides, so to speak, right? Because what is important for the stem cell for, and also in some other immune disorders and in cancer, what we realize now, if you really talk about stem-like T cell function, the T cell has to be physically or, or um, spatially in a very unique niche because you cannot get exposed too much from the antigen. You have to maintain yourself and you need to surround yourself maybe with some tolerogenic dendritic cells or antigen presenting cells. So we are figuring out, okay, first of all, where does the stem cell sit? And then the question is, um, the million dollar question is, what is the encounter that generates now these TCF lows? And this is actively ongoing research. I have no answer yet. But what is really also interesting, what I thought, Multiple sclerosis is a disease which is also mediated by CDA T cells. And when I talked about this experiment with FTY720 here, this experiment, this drug is actually improved and used for MS patients. And I'm like, well, why, why are they using FTY720? And they are like, well, we have no idea, but it works. It, it seems to it seems to ameliorate to to make the symptoms better of MS patients. So now we are also trying to work together with MS researchers to figure out is the stem-like feature of autoimmune type one diabetes shared across other CDA T cell mediated autoimmune diseases like yeah. MS? Right. That was yeah. So, that was my other question. Like, are there other diseases that uh, display this paradigm? And, you know, exactly. of the stem cells, you know, turning into active T's at the site of the attack. So like you could actually maybe exactly. examine if you yeah. had some kind of flare up with MS, you could ex examine exactly. the nearby uh, lymph nodes close yeah. to the neural tissue and see the same thing happening there. Exactly. Possibly. Because it's crazy that you have this drug that prevents egress from the lymph node, right, in MS but there is not really a mechanism associated with it, right? And so I actually wonder, maybe it follows the same rules. And this is maybe the feature of autoimmune diseases in general, because what T-cell biologists was always um, puzzled by is why these autoimmune T-cells kill and kill and kill and never get exhausted. And it only makes sense when you now put the stem-like T-cell feature into the equation that there is con they are short-lived, but there's constant replenishment. So they cannot never get, they can never hang out so long in order to get exhausted. And so maybe this is like just the, yeah, a share. Well, it also, it also shows the, um, it, it kind of fits with this whole patchiness of the disease, right? That it's a patchy disease. Not all yeah. islets are affected. Um, because yeah. they go there, they're short-lived, they flame yeah. out. And then, you know, then that's sort of a quiescent area.
but yeah. then maybe another trigger comes along some something else uh to replenish right. the um the ones yeah. that were there so exactly. that's really really interesting and it also fits very well with you know some work that uh, we spoke to both Kyle Galton at UCSD and um and um Steve Rich at UVA where they're really just saying that most of the genes that they're seeing when they're looking at the you know, the omics of the disease are these, you know, um, transcriptional factor type genes. Right. They're not just, you know, like a, a, a gene that's, you know, giving rise to a protein. So right. that also fits. So it's really nice. Right. Um, Dr. Wang had a question. I, uh, I wanted to like at, allow him to ask it. If he still has it, he's here. Thank you for the, for the presentation. Very interesting study. So my question is, uh, you mentioned that you uh, showed, uh, I mean, at the beginning, uh, this uh, TCF uh, lymph node, uh, I mean, the T cells in the pancreatic lymph nodes also express PD-1. Did you check the expression level between the TCF one uh, high and low of the PD-1 expression? compare yep. this expression? Yeah. That's a good question. And that's in the paper. I'm not showing it in the slides. So they are both positive, but the PD-1 in the TCF lows are a little bit higher. But me as a, you know, it's not, it's not a big shift. I would just say they're equally PD-1 positive, but maybe the TCF low just a tiny bit lower, uh, higher, sorry. Yeah. I mean, uh, you mean the TCF uh, low, uh, the expression of PD-1 in the TCF, TCF low uh, T cells? They're equally, I honestly, I don't even think, if I look sometimes at flow plots, I don't even think this is significant. So when you look here, this is one homogeneous um, population, right? And I would not necessarily say on the PD-1 level that there's heterogeneity. But there are other inhibitory receptors. For example, what we used actually to distinguish the TCF high and the TCF low is CD39. There you clearly can see there is a, there are two populations and these two expression profiles nicely correlate with TCF high and low. So the TCF high express much less of the CD39 and the really more terminally differentiated ones express much higher. So there are much better um, not better, but other surface markers that really correlate nicely with the bifurcation of TCF high and TCF low. PD-1, I would not call a defining factor. Thank you very much. Mm. That's great. Yeah, I think um, because PD-1 has been sort of like in the news, right? right. Um, <laughs> for for yeah. the for this whole um environment. But I would say also, like, I would also wonder, you know, sometimes, you know, type one diabetes or diabetics go on to experience autoimmune, like thyroid issues. Yes. So then right. just to sort of think through that, like, okay, is it, would that be the, um, you know, the, the high, the, uh, TCF high cells, the stem cells, would that be those that are located and living in the pancreatic lymph node, leaving the area, going to the thyroid to do their damage as a, as a TCF low, or would it instead be like some kind of lymph node that's nearby the thyroid that it again has that miseducation? I don't know. It's, it's just kind of interesting. 
Yeah, no, this is this is this is a great question, and I really don't know the answer. Two, both possibilities are. I mean, both both uh, scenarios are possible. I actually favor the latter one that there is a local. So what we also see in type one diabetes, we looked at all the other tissues, right? Other lymphoid tissue, the non-draining tissue, and we don't see it. So I think it's really the local lymph node that is the reservoir for less differentiated cell. And then that lymph node that is the closest or that is associated with the peripheral tissue is really instructing the immune response. So um, I actually think that it is probably local the lymph node based on our data in the in the type 1 diabetes. It makes also more sense, right? Because the in the end, all what the T cell cares about is the antigen, right? And the antigen does drain from the peripheral tissue in the local lymph node, right? So I would assume that, and it would make sense that it is really a localized um, uh, antigen-driven um, initiation and retention of the stem cells. There's been some talk about the impact of the microbiome. You know, it's like chicken or egg, what's going on? The microbiome changes dramatically at diagnosis in terms of its diversity and um, the populations shift. Right. You know, some people have talked about the fact that the gut is leaky and perhaps that there's some kind of, you know, release of antigen over in there in that area. What is the, I mean, I don't know if you, you know, have looked at this, but what is the, um, the draining of that pancreatic lymph node, does it have access to um, a lymph that comes from the um, submucosa of the intestine? Yeah, yeah, not intestine, but also the liver, especially because the liver is also the organ, right, of that maintains our tolerance and filters. And um, so that that's the more closest association. But that is also something that is fascinating when you look also in cancer patient or in transplantation, right? Transplant, bone marrow transplant, and how how the microbiome can affect these downstream immune responses. And I don't know. We have I have no idea right now. The clinical data it's more like association rather than yeah. you know correlation rather than there is a causal or. I think we need more time and more mechanistic studies to really link it. There is a link. But I don't think the field is yet at the point to say, okay, that that that's the regulatory mechanism of it. Yeah, no, it's all kind of just assembling the scene of the yeah. crime, like how whether or not they're connected or if it's sort of like a, a secondary. Yeah. But I right. do wonder, you know, let's just get back just to this um, the drug FCY seven twenty. Is that uh, off patent? I mean, uh, how? Who makes it? And what is? That's what the, originally. No, it's FDA approved. It's an FDA approved drug, and MS patients get it. So yeah. I actually talked recently to a one of the leaders in in type one diabetes, and I I just as a basic scientist, non type one diabetes person. I, I asked him, listen, if I look at the data, what do you think of doing this, this, and this in clinical trials or in clinical settings? And so one idea was, okay, the FTY720, the mouse model clearly shows that there is an effect. It's an FDA approved drug. We wouldn't have to go through a lot of yeah. administrative pain. Can we not just do a clinical trial and see in high-risk patients whether FTY will, will give you an effect? 
And so he's like, yeah, in theory, definitely. The question is how much do you have to treat, right? Because is it a daily injection and are the people really then um, willing to do it? So there needs to be some investigation in it. What I also thought was really um, interesting, I asked, initially people tried to treat type 1 diabetes patients with islet transplantation, right? But islet transplant generally get rejected. So that is also something people didn't really understand. Why is there such a quick rejection of the islet? Now that if our data is true and there is a stem-like population in humans, it makes totally sense now because the stem cells sit in the lymph node. You have no islets left. Now you do islet transplantation. You start draining antigen again. You get the whole process going again. The stem cell is just happy waiting. Now has stuff to do again to generate TCF flows. No wonder that it actually gets rejected. So I asked, well, if we do islet transplantation, can we not just re remove the lymph node? Because every cancer patient that goes for surgery, right, for the tumor, gets automatically almost always taking the local lymph nodes out, right? So lymph node resection is not even a big deal. It's just standard of almost a standard surgical procedure also for, 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 for tumor surgery. So why don't we try to do islet transplantation again, but remove the lymph node and remove the stem-like T-cells? And yeah, that's, yeah a great I don't know. that's a great idea. And see, this is a fresh idea coming from sort of the cancer perspective. So I wonder yeah. like though, how many lymph nodes would you have to target on the pancreas on a human pancreas? Like, Only two. Right. So that, that's the thing. It's really just very, very, there are two. There are in the, uh, the islets are getting transplanted into the liver. And when, when you do that, the pancreatic lymph node is also something that you always remove for pancreatic cancer resection, right? Uh, the surgery. So the lymph nodes are very localized. Um, in the mouse, we have, I think, four and in, in humans, two. But these are all just like maybe crazy ideas, but I think they're worth investigating. No, they're definitely worth investigating. And it's not... Um... You know, they're new ideas. It's a fresh, it's a fresh approach. And I do think, you know, this whole idea of gaining uh, information from the cancer field is excellent. I think also with, you know, when you talk about this, giving the drug uh, FC4720, uh, you know, like people are starting to narrow down, like what's the window? So you can imagine like, okay, when somebody develops type one, then they actually get, you know, um, access to insulin and the blood sugars to stabilize. And then they have that honeymoon window. So right. that seems like a perfect window, like, cause then people's actually can things start working again. That's yeah. like the perfect window to either yeah. knock down the, um, you know, the, the stem cell precursors, um, and with, allow um, them not to go exactly yeah, a direct yeah. injection right. or just do right. a, a, a node resection and get rid of them yeah. and see if you could like, okay, now we're back. We're back on yeah. time. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it sounds so um, very simple. I'm sure it's a lot more complex than that, but it might, it's, it's a really interesting place for um, some work to get done. And, and yeah. the work you've done is just, it, uh, it's really beautiful. The paper was Thank really you. beautiful and, uh, and, and very, um, very elegant. So um I hope well, that... thank you. Thank you. And fingers crossed that we find the same in humans because then we are really in the game, right? 
Yes, I hope so. Are you okay? Um, are you guys um, going to continue your collaboration with the team at Einstein? Yeah, definitely. I actually have a Zoom call on Monday. I have collaborations, really great collaborations with Yale University because Yale. There is this faculty, Kevin Harold, and we re we reached out to him and re he reached out to us two years ago, three years ago, when I first gave the first seminar on the unpublished data. And I mean, he is doing clinical trials and some of the things he sees actually maybe make now a little bit more sense when you think about a stem cell. I, I don't know, but I think it's just, it's so exciting for me as a basic scientist, mouse immunologist, that people look at your data and say, hey, a clinical people, right? And clinical people say, hey, that's cool to explore in our patients. And so if that's all what we do tr trigger some scientific discussions, even this, this Zoom call, I think that's how we move the science forward by really talking across you know, your own research area and bring different ideas and different um, aspects to the table. Totally agree. And I'm, I'm glad uh, that Kevin Harold has his, um, you know, um, his hat in the ring because he's very experienced and he's an expert yeah. scientist. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that we see you in the, over the next um, three months. We're holding State of the Science. We're having women scientists join. We'd love to have you. That would be excellent. We'd love to have your impressions, especially in some of the different forums. They're really applicable to what you're doing. Thank Perfect. you so much again. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.